about my dad is that he's really funny and he makes me laugh all the time. What I like about my dad, we have like dates together and he loves talking to people, which I do too. <laughs> what I like about my dad is that he takes me fishing. This is dedication to God and to family. He was always there for me. He still is today. What I value most about my dad is his guidance. Even to this day, I still call him for advice. He pushes me more than just about anybody else to be better than whoever else. He always gives me tips on whether it's sports, school, what to wear, stuff like that. My relationship with Jesus completely came from my dad. He taught me everything I know about him. Uh, and I wouldn't be anywhere near I am with Christ if it wasn't for my dad. I can call him anytime and uh, he's more than willing to give me the best advice that he can. I like it when my daddy's a, a soldier and I, and I like it when he protects me and stuff. It's his patience. It's such a strong quality that he's always had and uh, he's constantly shown us patience and love our entire life and continues to today. No matter what trouble I got into, he was always there for me. Everything that I ever did, he was always there cheering me on and showing me his love and support. He laughs at my jokes. He was a spiritual leader of our house. He always took us to church and taught us to love Jesus and showed us what it looked like to love others like Jesus loved others. I like my dad because he's a fireman and he sets out fire and because he lets me watch my own TV shows. Okay, yeah, you can applaud that. Uh, I don't know if I'll let you all watch your own TV shows today, but I will give you a few other pointers uh, from the Bible on what a good dad is like. So inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline describing those things, a number of scriptures which point out, hopefully very clearly, five characteristics of good dads. And so today, we're going to be talking about that. We're grateful for the Bible. The Bible's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, including parenting and being a father. And, tonight we're gonna, and today, we're going to talk about these things. I want to welcome the folks who are uh, watching us via video over at Pike Road and at Cloverdale. We're glad you're along on this Father's Day as well. Let me have a word of prayer. We'll jump right in. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to open up your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will guide us in how to be good dads to every dad in the place today on this Father's Day. There'll be some pointers that we can take with us and some things we can work on that you use this message to draw us closer to you and help us become more godly. Thank you for this holiday to, or this Sunday to mark it as an opportunity to celebrate fatherhood, and I pray we'll make the most of it. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. If you need a pen, by the way, fill in the blanks, please raise your hand, and one of our ushers will come by and they'll uh, pass a pen down to you. And with that pen, before we get started on any of this, I want you just to write this phrase at the top of your outline, with God's help, I can do this. When, uh, and the reason I'm asking you to do that is, is because... This is one of those messages where we're going to talk about a number of things that, uh, where God's word challenges us, point blank challenges us men to step up our game. And so I'm going to refer to this more than once as we go through the outline. And it's real important to remember that when God asks us to do something, he not only gives us the desire to do it, but the strength to do it. And that's good news. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Okay, five things, that uh, five characteristics of good dads. First of all, good dads view fathering as an assignment, they view fathering as an assignment from God. Not as a curse, not as a necessary evil, but as an assignment from God. Where do I get such an idea? Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord and their reward from Him. 
Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. And some of you can say, well, you don't know my kids. Okay. Um, hey, this doesn't mean that it's always going to be, you know, uh, ice cream and cake or anything like this throughout your whole relationship as a father with your children. What it does mean, though, is this is an assignment from God, that God's the one who blesses us with children. And so I'm talking to fathers here. We live in a culture where we have people who are very irresponsible. There are a lot of men. They can reproduce biologically, but they have no desire to be a leader or to be a father. I'm not talking to people like that. I'm talking to all of us here today who understand that this is an assignment from God, that he allows us to participate in creating the next generation of people on earth. And as dads, we get to shape that next generation. This is an important assignment. Two things then, two practical things that we could work on right now. Every dad in this place, you and I, uh, fathers, we must thank God for our kids every day. We must thank God for our kids every day. And again, some days that's going to be easier than others. Lord God, I thank you for my kids and I thank you this day is over. Okay, you can say that too. That's not cheating. But I thank you for my kids And Lord, uh, I want to be a good dad. That's a good prayer. It's a good, honest prayer. Show me how to do this. We uh, We also must tell our kids we love them and are thankful for them every day. Not only we tell God, thank you for allowing me to be a father, tell our kids, I'm glad to be your dad and I love you. And that's, you know, that necessitates and we're going to have to deal with some conflict pretty short or else we're not in short term or else we're not going to be able to do that. It's real important for us also to remember that as the Lord uh, calls us to this, he gives us such an assignment, he'll give us the strength to do it. And with God's help, I can do this. Would you say that with me, please? With God's help, I can do this. It's important for us to remember that. This is an assignment from God. At the same time, he is using us to help shape, shape our children. He's using the situation to shape us. God st- does stuff through us, and he does stuff to us at the same time. Has anybody else discovered this to be true? Man, the more you follow him, the more you realize, oh, wow. I mean, you are amazing, God. You're using this whole thing to teach everybody something at the same time. That's how good he is. So good dads view fathering as an assignment from God, and they count on God to help them do it then. Secondly, good dads take the lead. Good dads take the lead in discipline in order to raise good kids. The blank isn't big enough. You'll just have to fit that in wherever you can. If good dads want good kids, the key to it is good discipline, and good dads take the lead. It does no good for me as a father to say, well, somebody else needs to take the lead. God has appointed men to be the head of their household, and dads, we need to take the lead in this to shape the next generation. This isn't women's work. It's like, ah, you take care of it. I'm watching TV. It's not going to work. We need to be involved in this. Proverbs 19.18 tells us why. Discipline your children while there's hope. If you don't, you will ruin their lives. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. And if you want to know what it looks like to spoil a child, some of us have co-workers just like that. Mm. They never learned respect at home, so they don't have respect at work. They never learned to share and play well with others at home. Now they don't share and play well with others at work. Can anybody, does anybody understand what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Well, how are our kids going to learn it? How are our grandkids going to learn it? How? Through discipline at home. 
And dads, it's important that we play, that we lead. Here are three important things about discipline and making sure we're doing this the right way. Dads, we must remember that the goal of discipline is correction, not retribution. Correction means, hey, what kind of lesson, what kind of punishment do we need to assess here now so this never happens again? How can this be a teachable moment? I want to correct this child. That's completely different than you embarrassed me and I'm going to get even with you. Man, when the goal is retribution, it can easily cross the line from being correction to being abusive. We've got to be careful here. And that's why the scripture warns us on this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We don't discipline in anger. Go calm down. doesn't mean we don't punish. And we don't punish misbehavior. It means we don't do it in anger. So we've thought through why we're doing this. Secondly, we must discipline our kids consistently and realistically. I mean, if we have multiple kids and one kid gets off easy, the other kid gets the book thrown at him. One time we were just hard as nails. The next time we make no big deal out of it, that makes kids exasperated. Listen to the advice for fathers here. Ephesians 6, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. It's going to take some wisdom. It's going to take some thought. It's going to take involvement. And dads, we need to play. Thirdly, I want to pass on that dads, we must not let our past sins and mistakes prevent us from fulfilling our duties as fathers today. And this is, here's one of little John Schmidt's little mini rants coming right here. I meet with dads all the time. Met with a dad not that long ago again. His son was going off to college and he said he wanted to talk to his son about staying pure and honoring the Lord um, when he went off to college and chastity and all of this. And, um, you know, he said, but, you know, that wasn't the way I lived. I wasn't even a Christian when I was in college, so I guess I can't say anything. And I said, what? And he goes, well, I wasn't that way when I was in college, so I can't say anything. I'd be a hypocrite. I go, no, you're his dad. You can tell him that you made mistakes, that you did stupid things. Do you agree that that was stupid? And he goes, yeah. He goes, can I tell him that? I go, were you stupid? And he goes, yeah. I go, tell him you're stupid, okay? (laughs) Why can't we say that? Of course we can. Dads, we must say that. Why would we pay the stupid tax twice? It's already been paid for once in my life. Don't Don't pay it again. I mean, that's why we have parents. They can tell us things. They can warn us about things. I mean, the logic doesn't hold. I misspelled words when I was four, so I have to keep misspelling them my whole life? No, that's why you took spelling. So you could learn how to spell things correctly. Stop making mistakes. And if I stop making mistakes, why would I want my kids to make the mistakes if I've already learned that that's wrong? So I told him, sit him down and say, look, I didn't do this. I want you to have a better life than I did. I've raised you in a godly home now, so learn from my mistakes. Every dad in here, we can confess our sins. We can confess our mistakes. We can be honest and transparent about that with our kids and say, I don't want you to go that way. You go, wow, John, that was a little mini rant there. That was probably a full rant, okay? But I hear it all the time, and dad's going, oh, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. We must say something. Speak up. Dads, this is a challenge to us. 
And I know that if we're going to take the lead in discipline, some of us go, oh, I don't know if I can do this. With God's help, I can. So can you. Would you say this with me, please? With God's help, I can do this. Just the dads. With God's help, I can do this. I'm not telling you this is easy. I'm not telling you this is stuff that's magic. I'm telling you this is something that needs to be done. And God calls us to do hard things sometimes. He'll help us when we do them, and he'll reward us. Third characteristic of good dads, good dads value good friends and good advice. Good dads value good friends and good advice. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I think that should be obvious, but it's amazing how it escapes us. Dads, this is why we have small groups here, connect groups. We're going to be forming them in the fall. Make sure you're a part of one. I mean, we need to be around other dads who can help us be good dads. Being a dad is hard. Discipline is hard. Keeping the right perspective is hard. But we can help each other. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. That's in the Bible. I didn't write it. Proverbs 12.1. Underline it. Circle it. You can email it to someone if you want to. But whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. He who hates correction is stupid. And dad, this is what I was talking about before. Let's not, let's not pass on the stupid things. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other. We need to value good friends. We need to value instruction and good advice. First of all, we need to seek wisdom from God. If you need wisdom, then ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Back to that whole thing about thanking God for being a parent, for being a father. <laughs> Say, God, this is an assignment from you. Now give me wisdom to get it done. What if we started every day that way? Lord, I thank you for your position and my position in this world, and God, help me be a godly father to my kids today. I mean, what a difference it would make. We must read and learn because leaders are readers. Leaders are readers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times women come to me and go, I can't get my husband to read a book, not to save his life. They'll even get a book and they'll highlight, they'll put a paper clip around the two chapters, the 10 pages out of a 100-page book, highlight the paragraphs. Will you just read the highlighted sections? Nope, don't have time. World Cup's on. That's going to take at least a month. Football season's going to take all the way, bowl season all the way into January, and then comes hunting season. I'm just booked. I'm sorry. No time to read. No time to lead. Fathers, we're the head of our house. How are we going to know this? There is not enough time in my life to learn everything by experience. I can learn from others. I can stand on other people's shoulders. So can you. But we're going to have to read to get that done. We live in a day when there's more information on fathering, on godly fathering than ever before on the internet, bookstores. If your wife, your kid's mom hands you something to read, read it. Discuss it with it. Learn. Leaders are readers. Leaders are learners. And finally, this other bullet point here, we must grow and mature. We must grow and mature as our kids grow and mature. This is one of the biggest things that I discovered when I was parenting. It was one thing to parent a toddler, a completely different thing to parent a teenager, and so on. So if you flip your outline open, I put together a little chart here. I didn't come up with a chart, the age ranges I did, but um, the chart 
here is just to help us talk about these things, uh, talk about three roles as a dad that I'm, gonna, that I'm likely to go through. When our kids are born from birth to about age 18, during this time, uh, especially at the, when they're first born, I have to spend my time, a lot of my time as a dad, of being a cop. I've got to make sure when the kids are first born, you've got to put the little locks in the cabinet so they don't drink the Drano. You've got to put the child gates up at the top of the stairs so they don't fall down the stairs. You've got to watch them out in the yard or else they'll run out in front of a car. I mean, they really will. It's like, stop. And we're constantly going, stop. Don't do that. Put that down. All those things. I remember uh, one of my sons, uh, we came out in the backyard one day and he was into the dog food with the dog and the golden retriever was sitting next to him. He was feeding the golden retriever a piece and he was eating a piece and the golden <laughs> retriever thought this is the greatest thing ever. Someone with opposable thumbs could finally get in the dog food. Okay, this is great. I had to take that away. And it was a struggle because my son's teeth were so white and his hair was so shiny. We really didn't know if we wanted to take him <laughs> off of it for a while. But, but the point is, is that, you know, that's the way it is when kids are small. You got to be a cop. But somewhere, and, and again, I'm not saying that this starts at age 10. It could be age 8. It depends on the kids or whatever. My role has to transition to that of a coach where now I'm not only coaching them how to throw a curveball or how to shoot a jump shot or um, how to run fast or ride a bike, but as it goes on, we're constantly coaching them. Here's how you make your bed and here's how you dress yourself. And one day, here's how you drive a car and here's how you go on a date and here's how you apply for college. And we're coaching them. Hey, get up, fill us out, get going, let's go, get your homework done. We should. Think personal trainer here, this is important. Kids need coaching. The first part of COP is to keep you from doing bad things. This is coaching you to help you learn right things. We need coaches. But somewhere, that's got to dry up when the kids go to college. Because if I'm calling the kid at college, hey, you've got a class at 9.30. Hmm. You better have learned how to set an alarm clock before then. And that's when we become a counselor. And that's where we want to be till the day we die. And the difference is, with a counselor, the child is taking the initiative. Here, I'm the cop. I'm the coach. Now we're waiting for the child to call me. Hey, Dad, I need your help. Okay. I mean, I have a son who's 25, and he called me this week. He had some issues with his car. He lives in another state, and he said, Dad, what do I do? And I said, well, here's what I gave him some advice, and he followed that and other things. And got it all fixed, called me and said, hey, thanks. Thanks for advice. We're great. Bye. Love you. Love you. I mean, the whole idea on this is, you understand, I want my kid. Originally here, they are dependent on me. And by the time they have left, they're finished with college or they've gone on with things, I want them to be independent. I want my wife to stay. I want my kids to leave. <laughs> I mean, that's the plan. And so this is the way it works. But it, and so we talked to them, but I'm going to keep them from doing things that are going to harm them. I'm going to coach them into things they need to do. And then I want to teach them to be independent so that they can call me for counsel if they need it. But my role changes. And somebody could be a good cop, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily a good coach. And if you're a good coach, that doesn't mean you're necessarily a good counselor. Now, look, I mean, 
This is fraught with peril too. I mean, here's another graph just on that first part on the cop to coach part. I mean, you understand when a child is first born, like I said, when they're just newborn, you are 100% cop and you're just watching out for them the whole time. But by the time they're 18 and they're going off to school or going to the military or whatever it is, hey, that, that's got to stop. In fact, the whole time that they're growing up here, my role as a coach till they're 18, it goes up this way. And the big problems that we face are right here in the middle. This is called conflict. Major conflict, okay? I mean, on this chart, it's right here. This is all conflict here. Because sometimes I'm going to have to, if they mess up, I'm going to have to be a cop and I'm going to be a coach. And one of the big things we want to sit down with our kids and talk about as parents is, hey, do you understand? I want you to be independent. So you're going to have to earn my trust and keep it. And if you have my trust, I want to help you. Huh? I want to get to the place where you're making decisions on your own. I want to equip you to do that. So I'm just a counselor. I'll always be a counselor for you. And that's where we're going. But remember what section this is under on the outline. This is under where, hey, I need good friends and good advice because I don't know how to do a lot on my own. Some of us might have had great dads that had that all wired. Some of us didn't have any relationship with our dads at all. So dads, we need good friends and good advice. Next blank there, the note is, our goal is to raise children that are independent of us and dependent on God. Okay, and so that's what we pray about. And you can say, well, I don't know, John. I don't know if I can do all this. I don't know if I can either, but with God's help, I can. With God's help, I can do this. Would you say that with me, please? With God's help, I can do this. Just the dad's. With God's help, I can do this. And we also have the help of the rest of God's people. We're not alone. But how foolish is it to go through life and try to do it on our own? It's silly. Now, one life application for kids is a life application that's not for dads, it's for kids. Here's a life application for kids. If your dad has gone to the trouble to get good counsel and good advice, has prayed about this, has worked together with your mom and thought through these things to discipline you, to help you get independent in other things, and you won't listen, shame on you. I mean, good and godly children, good kids, listen and obey, good counsel from good dads. It's a two-way street here. If the dad's going to do their job, then kids, you got to do your job. That's your part. Ephesians 6, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. I mean, that's the reason I want to be a good dad, so it will go well with my kids and they will enjoy a long life on the earth. So good dads value good friends and good counsel. With God's help, we can find them. Fourthly, good dads are spiritual leaders in their homes. Man, I'm glad you're here to worship service on Father's Day, but what about the rest of the year? What about my home on Tuesday? Deuteronomy 6, Moses is talking to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're away and on a journey, when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. George Washington's day, women were not allowed to teach Sunday school to children. That was a man's job. It was, in obedience to this. Hey, that's a man's job to teach his kids, to be a spiritual leader. Think of that's changed today. It's part of a building project once at another church where, a church building where, looking at the plans for it, and the architect was presenting the plans for this new addition, showed us the children's drop-off area, showed us the women's restroom and the worship area and all that. It's like, okay, but why'd you start with the children's area and the women's restroom area? He goes, well, because the women, when they come in with their family, they're going to drop up the kids, and then they're going to go to the restroom, and then they're going to go to worship. Okay, but why are you starting with that? He goes, well, because men don't bring children and their families to church. Women do. You always have to plan the thing where the women are going to go. Men don't go. This is an architect. Wasn't talking philosophy, just practical truth. Men aren't spiritual leaders in our culture. Women are. I hope every dad in here, heaven help us if that's true. I mean, the Billy Graham Association for decades, they did this survey 85% of the time when dad took the kids to the church, when kids to church when they were young, when the kids grew up, they went to church on their own. 15% of the time when the dad stayed home and the mom took the kids to church, the kids went to church on their own when they grew up. 85, 15, took the survey over, 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 and over. Good dads are spiritual leaders. Three dimensions to this. First of all, dads, we must take responsibility for screening and setting limits on the media we allow into our homes. There's a parent blocker on the remote control for your cable. We can set that. In fact, why wouldn't we? I'll lead a life of integrity in my own home. Dad, I mean, could we say this? I'll lead a life of integrity in my own home. I'll refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all crooked dealings. I'll have nothing to do with them. I'll reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. But John, are you insinuating there is vile, filthy, evil, there are vile, filthy, and evil things on cable? This cannot be. I'm telling you there are vile, filthy, and dirty things on cable all the time. And dads, it's our responsibility to set a limit on that. What's going to come in your home? If I'm the spiritual leader, I mean, who else is going to take that responsibility? Who else, dads? We must help our our kids develop godly convictions and lifestyles. Teach your children to choose the right path. When they're older, they'll remain upon it. That's a proverb, not a promise. But you understand the wisdom behind it. I mean, how are kids going to develop godly convictions elsewhere? Again, who's going to teach them if we don't? Finally, we must model personal devotions and bring our families to worship. We need to model it. And our kids copy our behavior, whether we like it or not. I remember once when I was um, just starting out in ministry, I was driving an old car. I had a lot of issues with that car, but I gave a ride to a friend who was also starting a ministry. He has become a great counselor, a great Christian counselor since then. We went to grab lunch together. We came out to my car and Battery cables in my car were all corroded, and 
It's somehow gotten loose, the car wouldn't start, so got some tools out, took it apart, cleaned off the terminals and other things, and just put it back together. And when I did, uh, the wrench slipped, and I skinned my knuckles, and I took the wrench and threw it on the ground. And this guy who was a counselor said, just a question for you. Did your dad ever throw tools on the ground like that when he was working on the car and stuff? I said, yeah. He goes, do you want your kids to do that one day? I said, did your dad ever have to walk home from a restaurant for sticking his nose in somebody else's business? <laughs> but the point was valid. I wish I could tell you my boys have seen me model great behavior in situations like that all the time. I cannot. I'll get to a little bit about apologizing for that later, but pray about things like that. I want to model what's right. I think most of you dads, I think most of us, we do all the time. We just don't do it. So I take great comfort in this. With God's help, I can do this. With God's help, I can be the spiritual leader in my home. Would you say this with me, please? With God's help, I can do this. Point five. Good dads are servant leaders in their homes. They're not only disciplined leaders, leaders in discipline, they're not only spiritual leaders, they're servant leaders. The attitude we're talking about here is captured in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. Don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I mean, Jesus didn't hang on to his position in glory. He humbled himself, became a man, even died a criminal's death on a cross in order to save me and to save you. That's the gospel. And he's delivered us from sin. And he says, now follow me. And Paul says, now we need to act like Christ. Well, that applies to every area of life. It applies to men and women. But dads, it certainly applies to us in fathering. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And this is why women are challenged to submit to their husbands. Well, if I act like Christ, that's not hard. People say, is it hard for you to submit to Christ? Well, not when I think of all that Christ did for me. No. He went first. And you understand, I mean, if we model a godly marriage, then that is great for our kids. And they'll learn servant leadership by watching us. Here are three ways we can do that real quickly. First of all, we need to put our family's needs ahead of our hobbies, our interests, our career. I mean, that video we had at the beginning of this message had Cats in the Cradle playing in the background. That was a big hit. Song about a dad who never... Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Big hit. Song dad never had time until his kid was too old. And then the kid didn't have time for him. Well, you know, I... I can verify there's truth in that song. One of the interesting things about my job as a pastor is I've been in dozens and dozens of conversations with people who are about to die. People who've got a terminal diagnosis, people who've been on hospice care, other things, they call for the pastor and you come and sit down with them. And you talk. Are you ready to die? I mean, that's the only thing left on the agenda. Are you right with God? Are you right with others? And sometimes you help make a bucket list of people they want to say goodbye to and things they want to say and do. They only got a month or two months or sometimes two weeks to live. What are you going to do with the time you have left? And do you know, in all those conversations, 
I've never had anybody say, oh, I just regret the time I spent with my kids and with my spouse. Should have been at work. Should have been out playing more golf. Said I wasted it going to birthday parties. I wasted it taking my wife on a date. I wasted it going on those family vacations. If I had just worked harder and stacked up more cash that I won't be able to spend now when I die. I mean, I'm being sarcastic here. Some of you are going, oh, okay, I'll write that down. <laughs> Nobody says that. You know what they always say? I don't know why I work so hard. I don't know why I didn't take more time off. Hmm. Glad for every moment I spent with my kids. So, we must put our family's needs ahead of our hobbies and career interests. We must plan, P-L-A-N, dates with our wives and family outings. Every time we plan those things, it's communicating to our kids, this is important. You're important. My wife's important. They see it. They do. Thirdly, we must admit mistakes and apologize when we're wrong. This is what I was talking about before. Look, I wish I could tell you I've never blown I've blown it a lot. I try to apologize to my kids and my spouse when I'm wrong. I mean, the other thing is, this is hard stuff. You know, this business here, and I've even explained to my kids, walking through this cop, coach, and counselor, well, they're going through all this stuff. And sometimes I remind them, you know, when you were a teenager here, you were a piece of work. Okay? You weren't exactly easy to get along with either. Okay, so yeah, I didn't do anything perfect, but everything perfect, but you weren't perfect either. So, and I've had to learn. And dads, when we learn something that was wrong, we can apologize and say, you know, I've learned something now. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I remember talking to a mom and dad once in my office. We went over this exact thing and talking about the importance of apologizing. And the, the mom said, well, that's not going to work with our kids. And I said, well, why not? She said, because they'd all fall over dead if he said he was sorry. That's why. Dad was teenagers, and he never said he was sorry once. Though you've never said you're sorry in 18 years? Mm-mm. My dad never said he was sorry to me. And I go, well, how'd that make you feel? Well, it, Made me feel like he was stubborn and prideful. And I go, well, then quit being stubborn and prideful. I mean, let's learn. That's the point. And so if you and I are going to be good and godly, we need to apologize. Shell, if you come up here for a minute, please. For all the folks at uh, Cloverdale and at Pike Road, we're glad you joined us. I'm going to ask all the dads at all of our sites to stand right now. Dads, if I could have you stand. I'm going to ask Will and Don, the sites, uh, the site pastors there, if you guys would lead the congregation there, gathered at those sites in a time of prayer for dads. I'm going to pray for the dads here in Prattville. So we're glad you're with us today. For the dads here, um, we're going to pray a little bit. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to pray for me. For everybody else here, there's a dad. There are a lot of dads standing in this room. I'm going to ask you, if you're sitting next to one of these dads, if you feel comfortable doing this, to stand up now and put your hand on their shoulder. So if you know one of the dads, you're comfortable even for somebody you don't know, stand up right now, put your hand on their shoulder. I'm going to pray for them and let, let them know that we're all in this together. We said, with God's help, 
do this. Oh, my family's come up here to pray for me. Good. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, and we give you thanks that when you give us an assignment, you promise to help us carry it out. And just a moment of silence right now. Every dad, with your head bowed, would you say, oh God, I can't do this without your help. You gotta help me do this. With your help, I can be a good dad. Forgive me for my sins. And help me be the man you want me to be. God, I pray for every dad and the sound of my voice that you'll remind us every day that our fathering assignment is an assignment from you. That you have things you want us to learn from being a dad. Help us learn. Help us grow. Father, we pray, I pray for every dad uh, that can hear me now, Lord, that you will help us be lead and discipline discipline the right way, that our actions won't just be to lash out in anger and vent our frustration, but that we will discipline in order to correct our kids and our grandkids and make them strong and wise, help them learn from our mistakes and our past sins. Oh God, help us, help us. I pray for good counsel and good friends for each and every dad show us right from wrong, people to show us what the next step is. People can correct us, advise us, give us direction the right way to go. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that we'll be spiritual leaders in our home, that, give us a hun- that you will give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, that we will protect our homes. vile and crooked and vulgar things that you would use us to teach our kids godly convictions and lifestyles help us model that and finally Father we pray that you will help us be servant leaders in our homes good servants that will serve our spouses will serve our kids you'll teach us to make the most of each and every day God, I want to finish where we started, Lord, and say, Lord, we can't do this without you. But with your help, we can. We pray these things and give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.